Welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. This is where you belong. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. I am Luke, I'm your host, and today is Wednesday, which means it's time for another episode, deep diving into a topic. Before we get going, I got a little bit of exciting news today. I have just ordered myself a little bit of a podcasting setup. So up until this point, I've been running everything from a USB microphone into Audacity, like I've said many times. Um, so I've been saving up some money. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am pretty poor. But I have uh, been saving up to be able to get myself a podcasting setup where I'm going to have a lot more capabilities. So the reason why that's exciting for everybody is because now I'm going to be able to do many more interviews. Um, you know, interviews episodes are always the best episodes. It's much more exciting to have somebody else here talking with me. The conversations flow better. And I'm sure at this point, you guys are probably getting, getting uh, tired of just hearing my voice over and over and over. But after my initial interview that I had, you know, my first big episode was an interview with remote viewer, Jan Rogue. And, um, I lost a lot of that interview because of the software that I was using. And then I had that interview with Olympic gold medalist, Mark Schultz, and I lost that complete interview. And that was really, really frustrating for me. So I haven't done any interviews since then. And I have a whole back catalog of people who want to be on the show. Some very interesting people I'm really excited about, but I wanted to be able to have the equipment to do it properly first. Well, I finally placed the order for that, so I should be getting that in the next couple days here. So going forward, there's going to be a lot more interviews on this show. I'm extremely excited about that, and uh, I think it'll be good for you guys as well. So be looking forward to that. But obviously, since I don't have that in quite yet, today's episode is another episode of me just chatting away about stuff. So we're going to get right into our deep dive today. So for as long as time has been time, as long as people have been around, there's been a lot of stories about people healing people with either faith or with witchcraft or voodoo or laying of hands or good intentions. There's all these stories of spiritual healing happening. And, you know, I talk a lot in a lot of my episodes about more and more every single day we start to scientifically prove things that were kind of seen as esoteric in the past. So I wanted to get down to, is there any proof for faith healing and for all of these stories of people being able to fix people and change people's bodies and health with nothing more than mindset and their own minds. So going into this, I kind of didn't expect to find a lot, you know. Um, it's not something you hear about a lot. I mean, you hear about stories and anecdotal stories of people faith healing and churches, you know, praying about people with cancer and them getting better and all this stuff. But I didn't think I would find a lot of scientific evidence for that. And I was completely wrong. I actually found a lot of very interesting stuff we're going to go over. And so much so that this episode expanded so largely that it's going to um, be broken into a whole lot of different episodes. So today we're just going to talk about this idea of faith healing and um, external healing and the placebo effect and how all that works in your mind. But it touched on so many different bases. You know, I got down the road of finding documentation and scientific articles on Everything from remote viewing to human consciousness affecting computer systems to the consciousness of plants and all of it kind of ties in together because of uh, what may be going on here. 
as you'll see going forward. But what I really came to realize when researching this episode is that there is so much scientific data, I mean, decades and decades and decades of data about things that would be considered pseudoscience, like faith healing and remote viewing and astral projection and talking to plants and animals and all these things that you wouldn't think that there's scientific proof for. There is publications in so many reputable journals from reputable sources like Harvard and Stanford and huge universities all over the world doing research into these things and having amazing findings. And I think the problem with it is, is they don't get put into the news sources much and they don't get talked about much. And unless you know the journals to look in, I mean, I found scientific journals that I can't even pronounce looking into this stuff, but they're peer reviewed. And unless you really go looking for it, it's just kind of getting ignored, which is really um, unfortunate. But there is a ton of really interesting stuff being done in the fields of science that aren't really uh, hitting the mainstream. So today we're going to talk about the healing side of that. So without further ado, let's get into thoughts and prayers, faith healing, and the placebo effect. So the first thing I wanted to know about going into all this was the placebo effect. And if you don't know what the placebo effect is, it's essentially when somebody is given something that shouldn't have any medical benefit whatsoever, like a sugar pill, and they are told that it's medicine and it affects their body in a positive way. It has the same outcome a lot of the time, or at least a very similar outcome to if they received actual medicine. So I'm going to play you guys a little video here, and it's about four or five minutes long, but it's a good little um, explanation of the history of the placebo effect and what the placebo effect is. This, this video was made for the 2020 Brain Awareness Video Contest, and it was created by Catherine Still. It just kind of gives you a quick rundown on the placebo effect, so I'm going to play that for you right now. You may have heard of the medical phenomenon called the placebo effect where a patient with symptoms of disease receives a mock treatment and somehow begins to experience relief. New neuroscience research has begun to uncover how the placebo effect works after centuries of mystery. Back in 1799, a physician named John Hagar reported one of the first examples of the placebo effect. He was skeptical of a popular treatment being used at the time for joint pain, the application of metal rods to the body that were thought to draw out pain because of their electromagnetic properties. Hagarth tested the effectiveness of these rods by making a pair of dummy rods, or placebos, that were wooden and therefore shouldn't work. Miraculously, he found that patients received just as much benefit from treatment with the wooden rods as the metal ones, suggesting that simply the act of treating a patient, even if the treatment itself does not have healing properties, can be enough to improve patient outcomes. Hagarth wrote up his findings, stating that imagination could be powerful for healing. There are many more examples of the placebo effect throughout history, in studies on chronic pain, mood disorders, insomnia, and many, many other diseases. But are improved symptoms simply a function of a patient's imagination, like Hagarth said, or are they a real physiological phenomenon? Experiments using brain imaging suggest that the brain has a real response to the expectations and context surrounding placebos, which can have an effect on the body. Let's look at how scientists have figured out how the brain reduces pain in response to a placebo. 
Many studies have looked something like this. A number of volunteer test subjects received two different lotions, one on each arm to prevent pain. They are told that one treatment is a highly effective pain reliever, and the other will have no effect. In reality, they are the same cream with no pain-fighting properties. Then, a mildly painful stimulus is applied to each arm, and scientists can image the patient's brains in real time to see how their brains respond to pain. It turns out that some brain regions light up more when a patient receives a placebo treatment for pain. One of these is the prefrontal cortex, an area of the brain responsible for high-level thinking that can integrate context clues surrounding a placebo, like a confident doctor wearing a white coat or the feeling of physical administration of a drug. The prefrontal cortex can then connect to other brain regions that are responsible for making neurochemicals like dopamine, which signals pleasure, oxytocin, the cuddle hormone, and opioids. Yes, it's true, your brain makes its own opioids naturally, which has a strong calming and anti-pain effect. In response to the placebo, all of these neurochemicals increase, causing even more opioid to be made by a brain region called the periaqueductal gray. These neurochemicals ultimately signal down to the spinal cord to say, hey, the pain has been managed. But placebo effects can also work the opposite way, from the bottom up, by decreasing activity of pathways coming from the spinal cord upwards that signal pain in the first place. What about besides pain? The brain can also regulate other things after placebo treatment, like hormone production and even immune responses. In both of these cases, a small, centrally located brain region called the hypothalamus has been mapped to be involved. So there you have it, several objective measurements that suggest the brain responds to placebos to actually impact the body. So that's kind of a quick little rundown of what the placebo effect is. And she said some pretty interesting stuff in there. For one, she said your brain produces opioids, so, you know, don't quit going out and buying drugs. You don't need to anymore. Your brain's supposed to do it in the first place. Um, but essentially what she's saying is, you know, we thought for a long time that the placebo effect was just kind of your imagination, that you were able to trick yourself into thinking that you're getting better or trick yourself into thinking that you feel better. And what they've found is that's not necessarily the case. It's actually causing an effect in your brain, just like if you were taking a drug. And because of that, it's affecting your whole body. So I have read, I, I can't even tell you how many articles in the last couple of days looking into all this stuff. And I'm going to have a ton of articles linked on my website, because like I said, there's a bunch of publications and journals about everything I'm going to talk about today. Everything from the placebo effect is obviously very well documented, but even when we get into faith healing and stuff like that down the road. But essentially what it really comes down to is what they're finding, and I think what we've known all along, but what they're scientifically proving is that your body is holistic, is that everything plays into each other, every single cell in your body. And this starts to explain to us how the placebo effect really works. It's not just your mind saying, oh, well, I'm getting better, so I, I feel better and I'm tricking myself into it. It's actually causing huge reactions throughout your body. According to Professor Ted Kapchuk of Harvard-affiliated Beth Israel Deacons Medical Center, he says the placebo effect is more than positive thinking. Believing in a treatment or procedure will work. 
It's about creating a stronger connection between the brain and body and how they work together. Placebos may make you feel better, but they will not cure you. They have been shown to be most effective for conditions like pain management, stress-related insomnia, and cancer treatment side effects like fatigue and nausea. So in this article that I'm quoting him from, this is a Harvard article, Harvard Medical article, he is saying that it's the placebo effect seems to be most effective on things that aren't physical, like not having a physical tumor in our body so much as things that our brains regulate already, like pain and our sleep cycle and things like that, which makes total sense when you think about it, because if the placebo effect is a mental thing and you're... Um, you know, kind of imagining it like we, we used to think, but we're having a, a response in our brain, of course, it's going to be more likely to affect things that are regulated by our brain. And one of the really interesting things that he found that he talks about in the article is the placebo effect is effective even when people know that they have the placebo effect. <laughs> so they can give somebody a placebo pill, a sugar pill, and tell them that this is a sugar pill. This isn't actual medicine, but it's gonna help you out. And people will take it, and it will be 50% as effective as taking a real drug. So half the time, it helps just as much, or at least uh, the same amount of time, it helps half as much, but it still has a positive effect on you. And what they found from that is just the ritual of being told by a doctor to take something, and the ritual of, of taking something into your body like a pill, has a positive effect because all these things play into our mind. And that's what she was talking about in the video where she said, you know, seeing a lab doctor in a white coat and going into a doctor's office actually has an effect on our mind and which translates to an effect on our body. So it's very interesting how powerful our minds are when it comes to regulating things in our body. But I really wanted to see how deep this rabbit hole went because, you know, having improving your sleep or being able to shut down pain, you know, I've talked about this before on my Mindset Mondays. That's something that we have to learn when we are um, competitive fighters and stuff. You have to learn when you get hit to, to tell your body, okay, I can ignore that warning signal for right now. And it, it, Literally, I've looked into how this works in your brain, it literally changes your brain's response and changes the neural pathways and the response from your nerves all over your body to your brain. And you receive, you know, the same amount of pain input from your body, but your brain doesn't accept as much of it. So we already know that we can kind of, we can kind of regulate how we um, do things that are that are not necessarily physical, but are mental reactions anyway by training our brain to do that. So it makes sense to me that that is a very strong possibility for the placebo effect to do. Like if you're having trouble sleeping and you talk to somebody about it and they talk you through it, you know, a lot of times that'll improve your sleep. So obviously that these are mental things that we can regulate because again, our bodies are just these kind of big uh, chemical and neurological factories. But what I wanted to know is what about the times there is that tumor? What about those times that somebody did break their leg and supposedly healed very fast? Because there's all these anecdotal stories of that happening. Is that a scientific possibility and does it happen? So I started looking more into this mind-body connection that they're talking about in this video and in this article. And I think at this point, we all understand the mind-body connection to some extent. We all understand that our thoughts 
control our body and our body helps regulate our thoughts and that when we have thoughts you know we are this big chemical factory it sends chemicals down into our body which produces these reactions of different things like fight or flight or your adrenaline or everything and this kind of regulates how our body works i think we kind of all understand that and we're learning more and more how in-depth that is every single day like down to the fact that our gut bacteria can affect our mood dramatically and that our our gut and our heart have kind of these neural transmitters like our brains do. And when we hear things like gut feeling or that we feel from our heart, we're starting to understand scientifically that that's actually a lot more true than uh, maybe just some old anecdotal stories. Again, we start to scientifically prove all the time that these old ideas are actually something that we can prove scientifically and replicate. So I'm going to have, of course, a ton of articles, like I said, linked on my website. And there's some really good articles about scientifically how the mind-body connection works. But I'm going to pull from one of them right here because I think they summed up a lot of this very well. And this article comes from the Huffington Post, actually. And it's called How Your Thoughts Change Your Brain, Cells, and Genes. And it goes over how our body or in our brain doesn't just kind of produce these chemicals, but it actually changes us at a cellular level. Our body is changing all the time. You have cells dying, growing, um, expanding, changing all the time. So I'm going to give you a couple little quotes from this that I think sums it up really well. And this first quote comes from Lynn McTaggart. And she says, A sizable body of research exploring the nature of consciousness carried on far more than 30 years in prestigious scientific institutions around the world shows that thoughts are capable of affecting everything from the simplest machines to the most complex living beings. This evidence suggests that human thoughts and intentions are an actual physical something with astonishing power to change our world. Every thought we have is a tangible energy with power to transform. A thought is not only a thing, a thought is a thing that influences other things. And that is very, very true in our bodies, which I'm going to get into in a second. But she also said something pretty interesting in there that she said it can influence machines. And that is also something that I ran into looking into this. And I'm going to do a whole episode on that, but I will touch on it a little bit here, that our thoughts can and do actually influence computer systems. So our thoughts are so much more powerful than we have ever imagined. Or again, than we that we used to know this a long time ago, you know, people talked about these things like manifestation. And nowadays we call it this wooey magic bullshit because we can't replicate it in a lab. But we're starting to show that no, absolutely, we can do these things. It's just that this scientific data that's getting peer reviewed and published all over the world just isn't really getting talked about. But there's another article that gets quoted on here. That's called how your thoughts program your cells. And I think this is very important to the topic we're talking about right now. There's a quote from it saying, There are thousands upon thousands of receptors on each cell in your body. Each receptor is specific to one peptide or protein. When we have a feeling of anger, sadness, guilt, excitement, happiness, or nervousness, each separate emotion releases its own flurry of neuropeptides. Those peptides surge through your body and connect to those receptors, which change the structure of each cell as a whole. Where this gets interesting is when the cells actually divide. If a cell has been exposed to a certain peptide more than others, the new cell that is produced through this division 
will have more of the receptor that matches with that specific peptide. Likewise, the cell will also have less receptors for peptides that its mother slash sister cell was not exposed to as often. So summing that up for a third grader, because you know I say this all the time, that's how I like to do things because it simplifies it and I'm a bit of a third grader sometimes. But every emotion that you have creates, say, a, a shape, okay? So if you think uh, a sad thought or you're sad about something, let's say that your body's creating these peptides, these neural transmitters, and they're, let's say they're triangles, and they're sending all these little tiny triangles all over your body into the cells. Well, it's taking in all of these triangles, and since it's getting bombarded with them, it'll actually make more little receptors to fit these triangles as it goes along. Now say you do something that makes you happy and it makes a square. So it sends all these little squares throughout your body. Well, again, your cells throughout your body are all going to take in these little squares. And the more squares you send out, the more it's going to create these receptors. So each little cell has its own little um, ports all over it for these different peptides. And the more you bombard it with one specific thing, the more it's going to take those in. But... Like it said in the article, it gets really interesting when our cells divide. And our cells are dying and, and growing and dividing and stuff all the time. You're this constant mutation of a body. So if we're just bombarding our cells with triangles of sadness, then when a new cell is quote-unquote born and created, it's going to be born with many, many, many more slots for those triangles because its parent cell was so used to that, it says, hey, we need more space for these triangles. So you're automatically growing new cells with more sadness receptors into them. And the same thing can happen towards those square happiness cells or towards anger cells or all these different cells. And they're not actually squares and triangles, of course. I'm just uh, giving the third grader out here. But it what we feel and what we do to our body creates how our body reacts and and it grows it towards that direction. And that is a scientific fact. We say all the time that, you know, um, like creates like, and that if we continue to feel sad, like you're building yourself into this sad being, and you truly, truly are, you're building your body that way. It takes something like seven years for every cell in your body to replenish, and you're a completely new person every seven years. Now, that doesn't mean that you, like, you shed your skin like a snake at the end of seven years and you just become a new person. You know, little parts of you are changing constantly all the time, but over the course of seven years, your entire body is essentially regenerated into new cells. So imagine, if you will, that you are very happy for seven years or very sad for seven years, or very angry for seven years, at the end of that seven years, every single cell in your body has rejuvenated itself with more receptors towards that emotion. So from the time that you're 21 to the time that you're 28, if you are just primarily angry, then when you're 28, you are going to be not just kind of an emotionally and mentally angry person. You are a physically angry person because you have embodied that emotion. So this is kind of what the, the study of epigenetics and the, the whole field of study is dedicated to. Epigenetics is the study of stable changes in cell function that do not involve the alteration in the DNA sequence. And what we're starting to realize through epigenetics is that only about 5% of gene mutations 
are thought to be the direct cause of health issues. That means 95% of it is linked to disorders acting as influencers, which can be anything from life factors to mental factors to a lot of different things. So a lot of these are kind of beyond our control, right? Like childhood trauma, childhood events. We don't get a control that that happened to us. Now we can control down the road how we react to that. But um, a lot of those things just are put upon us. But some of them are entirely within our control, like our diet and our exercise and our stress management and our emotional states, how we react to things. Those are very much in our control. And with this field of epigenetics, we're seeing, again, what I just talked about, that our body is constantly changing towards the ideas that we put into ourselves and how we think about things and how we let our emotions um, run free and control us and change our bodies. So that's all well and good, and that's all very interesting, but that's still a very long-term thing. You know, I just explained to you how you being emotionally happy and being a, a more positive person is going to, in the long run, be very beneficial for you. But what about this faith healing stuff? <laughs> what about um, somebody having a, a traumatic event or having a disease or something and then being prayed for or um, having positive thinking and then healing getting better. Can it affect us that dramatically and that fast? Well, yes it can. Absolutely. The end. Hope you guys enjoyed the talk. There you go. No, not really. Of course, there is a ton of data around this. There's a ton of research that's been done into what's known as non-local healing. So again, we tend to take things that we say are wooey bullshit, like prayer and faith healing, and then we start to prove them scientifically so we give them a different name, like non-local healing. So once I found the term non-local healing, it made it much easier to research this because you can find non-local healing papers published in scientific journals that are peer-reviewed. When you look up faith healing, you tend to go down into a lot of um, like religious websites and church websites talking about these stories that have happened that, you know, maybe they did happen. In fact, I believe that many of them probably did happen, but it's not seen as scientific because faith healing couldn't be science, right? So they have to change the name of it to make it sound more scientific and now they call it non-local healing and then they have a body of research surrounding it so like i said i read days and days worth of articles i don't know how many articles about this stuff and abstracts and abstracts are essentially just little um, summaries of articles and people's research and i'll have a lot of these linked on my site but i'm going to kind of go through a few of them here and show you some examples of things that they're finding when they're looking into non-local healing so before we get into that, I want to backtrack a little bit. I got a little bit out of place here, <laughs> um, and I want to explain a little bit more about our own bodies before we talk about a um, being healed by other people's thoughts and intentions and emotions, because I, it'll make a little more sense if I go through this first. So I, I talked about the idea that our, our bodies are connected to our minds and that we have this big kind of internal holistic system that can affect our cells and genes. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the research that's been done into that, and then I'll backtrack over to that uh, non-local healing. Sorry for getting out of place there. I got a lot of information to go through here, and I had my tabs on my computer mixed up, so it put me out of order. But you guys will be able to keep up. You're smart enough. So anyway, 
there's been a lot of studies done about the immediate reaction of positive thoughts and positive emotions on the body. Not just this long-term effect of our cells like gradually um, kind of steering their way towards one emotion or the other, but actually how it affects us immediately. And so what they found, for one thing, is that salivary immunoglobin A, which is the antibody that plays a huge role in the immune system function of our mucous membrane, so it's essentially what makes your immune system work better, this immunoglobin A, is very much affected by positive emotion. They've done a bunch of different studies, and in one of them they showed people just funny videotapes, things that made them happy, and showed a huge increase in immunoglobin A. But it also, on the other side of that, shows a decrease in cortisol, which is our stress hormone. That has an immediate effect on our body. That boosts our immune system, and as we all know, stress isn't good for the immune system, so it suppresses that, that stress response. So it gives us immediate health benefits just by watching a funny video, just by being happy in the short term. And again, those short-term things add up to long-term things over time. And they've done all sorts of studies proving this point. One of these abstracts that I have here from PubMed, which is the National Library of Medicine, um, explains, though, that the complex interactions of the immune system, the central nervous system, when it comes to negative things like schizophrenia and depression, have been studied immensely. But on the other hand, the effects of positive human emotions just don't get that studied, don't get, don't get talked about that much. And it's unfortunate. So they, they talk about some of these things that have been done and some of these, um, these studies and these benefits that have been found through this. And again and again, they find that our immunoglobin gets boosted by positive emotions and our cortisol and our stress responses get kind of suppressed. And that's very, very important. It's very uh, beneficial for us because as we all know, our immune system is what heals us. There was a study done on telomerase activity, and I may be pronouncing that wrong, but telomerase activity is a predictor of long-term cellular viability, which is what decreases our long-term psychological stress. And so what they did is they took participants, they took 30 of them, and they had them meditate for six hours a day for three months. And then they compared them to a waitlist group of 30 people who obviously weren't doing that. And they were the, the control group, and they had the same age, sex, body mass index, prior medical um, and meditation experience, all these different things. So very, very similar control group. And what they found is at the end of that three months, the telomerose activity was significantly greater in the retreat participants, showing that there was a decrease in neuroticism and an increase in both mindfulness and purpose in life and just huge overall health benefits for those who did the study. And, you know, of course, you think if you're meditating for six hours a day, um, it better have some sort of effect. But they, you know, did it to such extreme extent to, to get clear data, and they got very clear data of how beneficial it is. But again, that one goes back to the long-term benefits of a psychological thing, not necessarily a physical thing. But as we know, our psychological and our emotional and chemical responses in our body that are responsible for things like our immune system are what heals us. And even if it's not this long-term thing, you know, even in the short term, 
like a cut or a wound or um, a cancer or things like that. When we do heal naturally, it's because of our body's response to it. So obviously, it's a pretty clear conclusion that having a better immune response to that is is what fixes that. And having better, positive, happy, and good emotions is responsible for making those systems stronger. Okay, so let's go back to non-local healing, or as I like to call it, faith healing, or uh, the thoughts and prayers. You know, everybody is always, the reason why I'm calling this episode Thoughts and Prayers is because there's this kind of uh, joke that always goes around that when something tragic happens, everybody gets online and is like, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And everybody's like, you're not really doing shit. You're just asking for attention. (laughs) But when it comes to actual thoughts and prayers and good intention, Can people affect other people? We have seen, I've just shown, and there's scientific data that you can affect your own body. You can be positive and happy and have an actual physiological effect on your cells and your immune system, your body, and cause yourself to heal more rapidly and be healthier. So can somebody else do that to you? Because that's where faith healing would come in. And again, there is a large body of work around what's called non-local healing. So... Um, there's a lot of different studies around it, but I'm going to first talk about a meta-analysis done. So meta-analysis is essentially taking all the other studies and um, going over them in whole, essentially, and writing a report about all the different findings together. So there's a meta-analysis that's on the National Library of Medicine talking about the empirical work on the efficiency of non-contact healing or non-local healing. And what they did is they took a lot of the previous studies that had been done before. They took a total of 90 different papers that had been written. And 57 of them were for whole human studies and 49 for non-whole human studies. And so what that means is they were saying in this report, they say a lot of these are focused on holistic well-being and which is what I was talking about like just general overall being a better happier person I said well we wanted to kind of not focus so much on that we wanted to focus on actual biological systems like can these things affect your kidneys can healing affect your heart like very specific things not necessarily a holistic idea of health And what they found is that, yes, it absolutely can. So they go over the data synthesis on this, and you can read through it, but it's just a bunch of numbers. Um, But their conclusion is that results suggest that subjects in active condition, which means that they have been, um, they have had this this good intentions and thought and uh, non-local healing put towards them, exhibit a significant improvement in well-being relative to control subjects under circumstances that do not seem to be susceptible to placebo or expectancy effects. So what they're saying is that after going through, and this is on the National Library of Medicine, after going through all these reports from Sweetwise, ASSIA, PsychNet, Web of Science, Cochrane Library, British Nursing Index, all these different um, databases, after going through all this stuff, they found that yes, non-local healing can absolutely affect very specific systems within the body. So I'm not going to read you all the studies and and things that have been done on that. You can go in and and read those. Like I said, there's articles I'll have linked and there's metadata and all sorts of stuff. I'm going to move on now to the section that I always get into of the what's going on here section. Because this is where we open up a lot of different doors. 
because they understand that our bodies and our brains are connected and our brains can affect our body. And they understand that other people having this um, good intentions towards you and towards maybe a group of people having intentions towards somebody who's sick can have a positive effect on it. But they don't necessarily understand how that works 100%. Because again, then we get into the realm of, well, we're having faith healing. So what's really going on? And that's hard for science to bridge that gap. They're getting very close to it. And they're getting much closer, like I said, and they're proving that this does happen. But how it happens and why it's able to happen is where we run into all these questions. So I'm going to go over a lot of different things that I found that are going to kind of, um, I think, kind of tie in and, and build an overall picture of it. So first of all, faith in itself. So there's a really good um, article from Harvard here that talks about spirituality and healing. And it talks about how important spirituality and faith is in people's general overall health and how much of a benefit it can be. And, you know, I talked earlier about the placebo effect and about how the ritual of taking in a pill is actually so important to us because it's just that idea of us telling ourselves we're doing something good. Well, the same thing kind of plays into the idea of spirituality and, and ritualism inside of religion is that knowing that you're doing a positive thing and having faith that something is going to help you does have a very positive impact. And in, in my opinion, I think that that is because, you know, our bodies are this big chemical reaction farm where if we're telling ourselves something good is going to happen and we're putting that outside of ourselves and we're saying that, you know, God is going to help me or I'm going to be healed by my faith, your brain is reassuring yourself that and it's producing these chemicals that are actually going to have physiological effects in your body. In this article, it talks about how more than 3,000 studies have been done that indicate that religion has a potentially beneficial effect on health. And so this is a very well-documented thing. Now, I'm not discounting that God can heal people. I'm going to get into that later. That's a, another side of it. But I am saying right now that just the idea of being religious and just the idea of having faith has a very beneficial effect on your body. So when it comes to non-localized healing, there is that potentiality in it. That when you know people are praying for you, when you know people are having your back essentially and rooting for you and reaching out to your God, that's very, very, very powerful. Because you say that, okay, I'm sick. Um, you know, I have the flu, I have whatever, I broke my leg, let's say. That's a pretty dramatic one that happens instantaneously, and it's a very physical thing. So we'll go with broke my leg. I busted my leg. I need to heal. Um, I'm scared, right? Well, my whole church is praying for me. So you're telling yourself that I have 200 individual people reaching out to God, the most powerful source of the universe, to heal me. And you believe that and your mind says, I have the pull of 200 people reaching out to this very powerful source and it's going to heal me. And you're reassuring yourself that strongly inside of your mind that that's going to happen. It's a very, very powerful physiological effect that's going to happen and you're going to boost your immune system. Now, it's not going to heal your leg instantaneously. There is 
um, anecdotal evidence of that having happened before, right? Of people, um, in fact, there's one going around on the internet right now where a lady's toe got like chopped off and supposedly God healed it and her toe grew back overnight. I'm not going to include any of those things because there's no scientific proof. Do I believe that those things happen from time to time? Yeah, I think that things like that absolutely can happen. But we're not going to count any of that right now because it's not documented scientifically and we're going to stick with the scientific side of things as much as we can for this episode. So as far as, you know, the broken leg thing goes, our bodies are meant to heal themselves. And there is scientific evidence of a dramatic increase in healing time. So instead of taking the six weeks it takes for a bone to heal, being able to heal in three to four weeks and doctors being like, wow, that was a dramatic recovery. And when they ask the people about it, they say, well, it's because God helped me and my church prayed for me. And in my opinion, um, or in the scientific opinion, not necessarily my opinion, that's because you are reinforcing that inside of yourself and your brain is thinking so strongly, it's the mind over matter thing, that it's going to happen and you have so much faith in it that you actually heal yourself faster. Now again, I'm not pulling out the idea that, that you know, there is a God and that these things can be done by God. We're just not getting into that quite yet. So along those same lines is something that I ran to that's very interesting. And a lot of these things that I'm about to talk about, like I said, are going to end up being their own episode because I found a lot of really interesting research being done in a lot of different areas. But brain synchronization. So apparently people's brain waves sync up pretty regularly and a lot of different things can cause this and they're still trying to understand this and they're still researching this quite a bit but there's a lot of things that can cause people's brains to sync up so you and I right now since I'm talking and you're listening and we're having a um, kind of shared thought our brain waves are actually kind of syncing up even from this vast of a difference or of a, of a distance um, we're having this synchronization and that can be much much stronger depending on a lot of factors so if we're in the same room room together and we're sharing the same environment, our brains can sync up even more. If we're sharing a conversation, if you were talking back to me right now about this and you're thinking about things as you're saying it and we're thinking along the same paths, again, our brains can sync up even stronger. If we're looking in each other's eyes, our brains can sync up even stronger. So we can have these synchronization of brain waves and brain patterns and some and it kind of can happen um, you know from a lot of different factors and one thing that they found is it can happen from emotion and intent i can share an emotion with you essentially and we can sync our brains up you ever walk into a room and like everybody in there is really like kind of off put or angry and all of a sudden you just like feel it well that's an actual thing your, your biological system is syncing up with their biological system and your brainwave patterns are syncing up with their brainwave patterns. And when there's this overarching, very powerful um, emotion in the room, because maybe there's 20 people that are all kind of already synced up and feeling the same way, it's very overpowering to you. You know, people talk about being the light um, in the darkness and being able to light up people's lives. Well, if you have such a powerful emotional state that you walk into a room of sad people and you're just this bebop and happy person, you know, you can kind of override that and spread your emotion. And they're starting to show that our emotions get, um, are not just these physiological things that are just necessarily inside of our bodies, but our neurological and chemical and electrical responses 
can kind of uh, protrude outside of our bodies and affect people's bodies next to us. And again, it's an ancient idea that they're starting to start starting to scientifically prove. So we know that electrical systems can um, be measured outside of the electrical system. Like you don't have to touch a wire with a electrical reader to get a voltage reading on it. You can be close to it because it's not just condensed inside that. It gives a reading outside of the wire itself. You don't have to necessarily be touching it. Well, your body is this big chemical and electrical field that's happening all the time. So ours protrudes outside of our body as well, and it can affect the ones around it. So when it comes to things like faith healing, again, and the laying of hands and people um, having this good intention towards other people healing, that is another possibility that could be happening is if you have this church group or this this room full of people or even just one person with a very strong emotional brainwave pattern and intention because our intention and our and our thoughts are you know very very closely related and intention is very powerful but if you have these very powerful thoughts all being put towards one person you can sink your brainwaves up towards that so even if let's just go on the emotional side of things. If I'm happy and you're sad and I want you to feel more happy and we start sharing in these brainwaves by emotional sharing and by um, physical touch and sharing our environment and talking to each other and looking to each, other eye, each other's eyes, we're sinking our brains up. And I'm like literally spreading my thoughts and my intention and my emotion to you, which is going to have that same corresponding response in your brain, which is then going to produce those chemicals, which is going to produce those peptides, which is going to increase your immunoglobin, which is going to make you happier and produce those opioids inside your body and, and fix your emotional state and literally heal your body. So there's that whole side of it that our brains can actually sync up, which is very interesting. Now, what about from a distance? What about when I'm at home and I'm praying for you and you don't know that I'm praying for you and you get healed? Okay, so now we can talk about the idea of God, but we're going to put that to the side for a minute again. And we're going to talk about how powerful our thoughts are just within ourselves. So in that article that I read you earlier today, I was talking about, um, or they talked about in the article that our thoughts are these tangible kind of physical things that can have a tangible effect on other physical things. So there has been some pretty interesting studies around how powerful our thoughts are. And this opens up a whole, whole different world, a lot of different doors um, that I can get into that goes everything from remote viewing to machine brain interface to a lot of different things. But I'm going to tell you some things that kind of kind of show how our, our minds can affect biological systems. So firstly, I had heard a story years ago that during Project uh, Stargate and during even MKUltra and a lot of these different government programs when they're working on seeing about creating super soldiers and messing around with the mind and essentially frying people's brains with drugs and all sorts of things, um, that this one of the studies that they did is that they had a military officer... Um, concentrate on bacteria that was all the way across the country and he was able to actually kill that bacteria by by using negative emotions towards it now i could not find the 
documentation of that happening. All I can find is people's stories about it. And when it comes to government projects, it's hard to tell um, how much of the whistleblowers are making things up and how much of it is uh, just kind of anecdotal. So we can't 100% rely on that one, but I've heard that story many, many times. So I started looking into more studies and seeing if that had ever happened before. And there is a lot of studies that have been done that prove um, that that may be the case. So in one, people did this with plants. Now, side note, looking into this, there's a whole field of study on plant consciousness and plant communication, which I'm going to get into because I, it is interesting as hell. I started going down the road for hours while I was researching this, and I was like, shit, I got to get back on track because there's so much research about how uh, plants can communicate and can actually kind of think. You know, I talked about this in a uh, recent What a Week episode. There was a news article coming out that they think plants actually scream when they're in pain. They just kind of make these sounds at such a level that our ears can't register it. So that was that was really interesting. But I'll get back to that in a different episode. But there was also studies done where when they're growing plants, they give them positive emotions and positive affirmations. And the plants grew much deeper, stronger and, you know, fuller roots. There was also studies done where they had a greenhouse full of two sets of plants and they would go into one set of the plants and show them love and positive emotions and they would go into one and they would neglect them, not physically, they would give them all the same amount of water and sunlight and everything, but they would neglect them emotionally and they would kind of show anger and stuff towards them. And the ones that they showed positive emotions to grew much better and grew much um, faster and stronger and with deeper and better roots as opposed to the other ones who died off more quickly. So it shows that our thoughts and our intentions again, are having a very real effect on biological systems. Now, they've done a lot of other studies using things like music, and there is very strong evidence when it comes to things like music that it does affect the growth of bacteria and of algae and of plants when we play more positive and harmonic kinds of music as opposed to um, heavier and more sporadic kinds of music. Now with that, they say that it's probably because the more harmonic kinds of music has a different wavelength that affects the cells in a vibrational state and helps them grow, kind of massages them. But if we can think about our emotions and our intent extruding outside of our body, that is another kind of wave, that is another kind of energy or another kind of radiation that's coming outside of our body. So it could be that it's not just this um, metaphysical thing that's happening with our mind and we're, we're putting this intent, but it's a very real wavelength that's affecting it in a very real sense. There was also a book written by a man called The Secret Life of Water. And I'll do an episode about this book sometime uh, in whole. But essentially what he did is he wanted to see if, for one, water has a memory, is what he says, and for two, if our thoughts can affect that. So what he, he did all these different experiments, and my mom actually has this book. I, I looked at it years ago. It's really interesting because he has pictures of all these things and all of his studies in it. But what he would do is he would take these different glasses of water and he would label them. He would label one anger and he would label one love and things like that. And then he would spend time feeling that emotion, like really feeling that emotion towards the water. Like if it's anger, he's just like, I fucking hate you, you little piece of shit glass of water, right? And he would just really make himself feel it. If it was love, obviously he'd sit there and feel loving emotions towards it. And then after that, he would take the water and he would freeze it. 
And then he would go in and take a microscope with a camera and he would take pictures of all the little water crystals being frozen. And what he found, and you can look this up, look up The Secret Life of Water. They even made a documentary about it and you can look at the pictures of it. But he, and I'll have it linked to my website too. But what he found is that the ones with the positive emotion created these beautiful symmetrical crystalline structures like the quintessential little snowflake that you see in all the movies. And then the ones that had negative emotions portrayed on them created these disgusting looking like non-symmetrical all over the place geometric shapes when they were frozen and photographed. And so what he showed is that our thought and our intention and our emotional state has a very real impact on water and the molecular structure of water. And so when we think about the fact that our bodies are 70% water, imagine what your emotional state and your attention can affect in yourself and in other people. Another study that was done, I believe by the same man, but it was also done by a group of Japanese school children, and it's been done by a bunch of people on the internet. This is actually something you can do at home, is the same thing with rice. So what they do is you take and you cook some white rice and you put it in a couple different mason jars and then you put the lid on it and you label each one with love, hate, anger, and then you spend, you know, three or four minutes every day feeling that emotion towards it. Now, you got to train yourself to be able to feel an emotion on command, because if you just sit there and think, I'm angry at you, that's a lot different than really feeling anger towards it. But there's um, very conclusive evidence, if you want to call it that. It happens time and time again. So again, this is something that hasn't been published and peer-reviewed. So when it comes to the scientific community, they're like, oh, well, that's just anecdotal. But you can find videos of people doing this in, in real time on the internet, and you can do this yourself at home. So to me, I mean, that's pretty, pretty strong evidence, but the ones, the rice that has been loved and shown positive emotions towards lasts a very, very long time. So like a hundred days later, it'll still be white. It'll still be, you know, I wouldn't eat it, but it still looks like rice. And the ones that have negative emotions put towards it get moldy and look dark and brown and all sorts of different nastiness going on. And again, it's showing that our emotions can have a very real effect on these things. Maybe I'll do this at home. Maybe I'll do this as, as scientific as possible. And, um, you know, if you, if you really want to do it right, you got to make sure everything's the same in every jar and everything's very sanitized and there's not any outside sources or forces, you know, uh, going towards any of the different rice globs in each jar. Um, so maybe I'll do this and kind of report back on my findings. But I've found a lot of people who have already done this and it seems to be pretty conclusive that our minds have the capability to affect this rice like this. And it's not so much the rice I don't think that it's affecting because rice is not this living thing anymore once you cook it. It's actually affecting the bacteria on it. And it's allowing the bacteria to grow stronger and to create this, uh, this biome of these disgustingness inside of this jar or it's preventing it from happening depending on your intention and your thought because again our intention and thought seems to be able to affect biological systems and so when we take that into the account of the human biological system it's pretty easy to see how it can have a very dramatic effect on it okay so what about again being able to affect things from like across the globe 
Well, this is where we have to take another tangent that gets really interesting. So there was this group that was called PEAR, and it's the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research. So obviously this took place at Princeton University, and they were going for like 20 years, and they were studying anomalies. And these are very, you know, well-respected um, scientists that are doing this stuff. But what they wanted to find is they wanted to understand consciousness, and they wanted to see if consciousness could take place outside of the body, and they did studies on things like remote viewing, and they also did studies on a lot of really interesting things like can our brains affect machines and computer systems. Now I'm going to do a whole episode on Pear um, and the Princeton's or the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research and all their different offshoots and stuff down the road. In fact, I would love to talk to some of these guys now that I have the ability to do the interviews that I want to do. So maybe I'll be able to get some of these guys on the phone, but. Um, I've seen the videos of these people and I've uh, heard about them before and they, they did a lot of really interesting things. So one of the things that they did that I thought was really cool is having the brain affect randomized computers. So in one of the videos that I saw, they had this circle of lights and say that when it goes right, each, each light goes in sequence when it goes right and blip, 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 blip. Each time it goes right, it's red. So it'll go red, red, red as it goes around in the circle heading to the right. And then when it goes left, it goes green, right? So it goes green, green, green. And so it's randomized. It's completely random like you're flipping a coin. So it might go right, 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 left, left, right, right, left, 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 right, 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 left, right, right, left, 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 right. So as it does that, it goes red, 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 green, 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 red, red, right. So it should be about 50-50 over a long period of time, just like a coin flip. If you flip a coin 10 times, you might get eight heads. But if you flip a coin a thousand times, it's going to be close to 500-500. That's just how statistics work. But what they tested and what they found they could do is have somebody focus on those lights as they were going in the circle. And you can find the videos of this, and I'll have this uh, their website linked up on my site, of course. But they would have somebody focus and they would say, okay, try to concentrate on that line or that light just being green, just going to the left. And so it would go red, red, green, green, red, 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 green, 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 red, red, green, green. So and you could see where their concentration affected it. That was way above a statistical um happen chance that there, there's no way it should have hit that many greens in a row and they would replicate things like this over and over and over and they did a ton of other studies that is just one that's very visual and, and kind of easy to understand but what they found is that our brains can affect these computer systems well these guys went on for about 20 years and then they lost their funding because for whatever dumb fucking reason whenever we start to find things like this that prove how uh, amazing our minds are we just shut it down um so they all kind of went on to create their own organizations so there's like scientific exploration there's Cyleron, there's the icrl there's all these different soul phone there's all these different projects and stuff that have kind of grown out of this um and one of the big ones that has happened is what's called the global consciousness project so the Global Consciousness Project is incredibly interesting. So what they did, and this has been going on for quite a while now, like I think a couple of decades, I think it started in the early 90s, but they took 
randomized computer systems. And there's about 30 of these all over the world. And they're exactly what I just talked about, but not with lights. So it's like a digital coin flip and they use quantum computing. So it is completely random and it's all ones and zeros. So it just randomly pulls up a one or a zero and it pulls up 200 every second. So over the course of time, right, it should be about 50% ones and 50% zeros over the long course of time. And that's how it works on their control um, studies. When they look at it, it just kind of goes back and forth. And when you go to their website, they have data. I looked at hundreds of pages of data and really tried to understand. It took me a while to even understand their graphs and their their um, research findings. But once I once I clicked, I was like, okay, I, I understand what I'm looking at. But anyway, they have a ton of data um, about what they're finding. So what they do with these machines that are placed all over the world, like I said, I think they have 30 of them in, on all different locations of the world, is when a world event happens um, that catches the world's attention, like New Year's Eve, or 9-11, or a pope dying, or a massacre, things like that, an earthquake, things that catch the global attention, they go and they look at these these computer machines that are pumping out these random numbers, and they see if there's a trend. So just like with those lights going in a circle, that should be going about 50-50. If all of a sudden it goes in one direction for a very long amount of time, then that's not statistically probable. There's something affecting it most likely. And so what they find is that when things like, let's just use 9-11, that catches the world attention happens, they look at these machines and they trend in one direction or the other very heavily. So instead of going one zero one zero one one zero zero one zero one zero, it goes one 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 for like an hour at a time. And they have studies, they have thousands of studies and reports on there. Maybe not thousands, maybe hundreds, but they have a lot. <laughs> you can scroll through them all when you go to their website that I'll have linked. And each one, they write a report of the event that happened, what was happening around it, exactly how they did their research and everything. And then you can see the graph of their findings. So a big one that I looked at on their website was the coronavirus outbreak. So during the coronavirus, they looked at the data around very significant times, like when it was first called a pandemic in the news. And there's this huge trend in one direction or when we first were told that there was going to be a lockdown and there's a huge trend, or when we were first told that, um, you know, we had to social distance or whatever, all these big like things that affect the mass consciousness seem to have these effects on these computer systems all over the world. So the reason why I'm talking about that in a faith healing episode even though that is talking about our minds affecting a computer system, is two reasons. For one, it shows that our consciousness is not localized. It shows that our consciousness um, affects things outside of our body. And there's very, very strong evidence for that. And I've already talked about that with the plants and things like that. But it shows that it can do it from a long distance and across the world. For two, it shows that a large group of people focusing on something all at once has a very, very dramatic effect, even on random statistics. So going back to faith healing, from a distance, if I'm praying for somebody or sending good thoughts or intentions towards somebody, my, my consciousness can traverse that plane. 
you know. And then for two, if I have a group of people doing that, you have a whole church group or you have all these people on the internet sending thoughts and prayers that sounds all wooey and stupid, but if they're actually doing that and not just writing it on their Facebook page to make themselves feel better, a mass amount of people concentrating on one thing all at once has a statistical effect. I mean, our world is just one big electrical grid. I mean, they even call, there's something called the world electrical grid that they, they talk about, um, you know, how, how our world really is just this big ball of electricity that's interacting all over the world all the time. So even if our thoughts are this localized things that are just these sparks of electricity inside of our brain, we are inside of this big ball of electricity and so even if it even if our consciousness isn't something that can reach outside of our brain um like with remote viewing which you know i absolutely believe we can and there's a lot of evidence to prove that but even if we can't do that they it would still be scientifically possible for things like this to happen because if you think about this just visualize this big ball of electricity that we're sitting in that's interacting with itself all over the world and then you have these little tiny uh, electric conductors and electric generators all over the place and enough of them start sinking their brain we've talked about brain synchronization when everybody thinks the same way about something their brains sync up so you have all these same electrical pulses happening inside of that well yeah it's going to send electrical ripples throughout that whole electrical grid so even if even if it's not this uh, more esoteric idea of our consciousness getting outside of our body and affecting things, just the electrical side of things and the very biological side of things, there is this possibility and very high probability that that can and does happen. So let's put all these things together from the placebo effect all the way up to, you know, our brains affecting computers. If we know that our minds can heal our bodies, we know this because of the placebo effect, and we know that the thought of getting better and the thought of just doing this ritual of taking a pill can heal us, can have a very dramatic healing effect on our body. And we know that minds can sync up and we know that minds can affect water and we are like 70% water, 60% water, whatever it is that they say. Depends on how hydrated you are, I guess. And we know that brains can affect something from vast distances like these computer systems. And we know that our minds can affect biological systems like plants and bacteria. We put all these things together and we have a very, very strong case for remote, non-localized spiritual healing. So in conclusion, yes, thoughts and prayers do have a very real and scientifically verifiable effect on people's health and their well-being. And your own thoughts and emotions have a very real effect on you and your overall health. Now, before we wrap everything up here today, there's two more things we need to talk about real quick. Anomalies and God. So everything I've told you up to this point is scientific data and is scientifically verifiable. Now what I'm going to get into is a little more um, speculation on my part and a little more of my personal opinion and things that haven't been proven by science yet. Now, like I always talk about, all these ancient ideas and these philosophical ideas and religious ideas are being proven every single day in laboratories. And then all of a sudden they just give them a new name and be like, oh, look what we found when they've been known all along. So 
I think that uh, the things I'm going to talk about right now are, are absolutely going to be proven someday. We're just not quite there yet. So first, the anomalies. So what about these stories of somebody having a tumor or a cancer or a broken bone and having things like these Reiki healers, Reiki, Reiki, whatever, healers who, and these energy healers who can go in and kind of wave their hands over them and all of a sudden they're healed. Now, scientifically, there's not a lot of documentation for those things. Anecdotally, there's a ton of it. I've seen testimonies from people who have gone through that, and I've also talked to people and seen testimonies of people who claim to be able to do that for years and years and years. So there's a lot of, um, and there is, there is reports written on it, but they just don't really get published and they kind of get thrown by the wayside. So what about those instances? What could be going on with that? Well, I don't think it's a very big stretch for us to go a little bit farther about everything that I've just been talking about, right? So I have just talked about how we can affect energy and how our minds and our intention can affect biological systems and all these different things that I just talked about for over an hour. So I don't think that it's too big of a step in um, down that road to have people who are good enough at that and understand that enough and have practiced it and developed it enough to be able to go in and say somebody has, um, you know, a mutation, which is what a cancer is, in a, in a cell or a gene or something like that or something going wrong in their body and be able to pinpoint that area and use their intention and use their thoughts and use their... Um, vibrational state or whatever the hell you want to call their energy. It doesn't really matter what you call it, but be able to use that intention in a strong enough way to be able to have a dramatic effect on that biological system. We know that it can happen slowly over the long term, and we know that it can happen a little faster when a bunch of people are doing it. Um, and we know that it can have a very a dramatic effect on the speed of healing. So it's not that it the question isn't, can it be done? The question is, can it be done that fast and that dramatically? And I don't see why not. Like we know that our bodies can heal themselves and can increase their healing rates. And we know that we can essentially do that to other people. So it's just how fast can we increase that healing rate? Can we take it to a extent that is almost instantaneous or overnight or within like a week's time? Can we put things into remission? Can we stop the growth of cancer? Can we do that with our minds? And, um, you know, from everything I've found and everything I've learned, I, don't, I just don't see why it's not possible. And there's lots and lots and lots of people claiming that it has been done to them or done by them and claiming that, uh, that they are firsthand witnesses of it. So, we, you know, we can either throw the baby out with the bathwater and just not take into account any of those just because they haven't been published as much as scientific journals or we can just say, well, that really is just the logical next step of understanding how all this stuff works. We just haven't been able to replicate it in a lab yet. But 20 years ago, they didn't replicate any of this in a lab, and they would have said that it's all foofy bullshit. So it's, I just don't think that we're quite there scientifically to be able to prove it, but I do think that those things can and do happen. I watched a video a little while ago of a person who, and th this happened on live TV. I'll try to find this video. I didn't, I just thought of this, so I didn't post it up on my site, but I'll try to, I'll try to find this at some point. But he is able to look at somebody and tell them exactly what's wrong with them. Um, and he can, he can even do this behind a wall. 
So it's not that he's like looking at them and like looking at how their hips are and stuff like that and like judging how their body is. It's like he is he is feeling it more or less, or for lack of a better word. So the, the thing that I saw is he did this live on stage on some like talk show. And this wasn't in America. This is in a different country. But there was a woman standing behind this wall that they put up. And he, I can't, admit, I can't remember exactly what was wrong with her, but he goes, your something like your liver is having problems and your, you had an injury in your right knee, but it's been quite a while because it's healed, but it's healed in the wrong way. So you have a weird step to it and all these, you know, he's, he's claiming it like, you know, exactly what he's seeing. And she walks out and she goes, he's 1000% right. And so as they're interviewing this guy and the people that he's helped, they're, um, you know, these people are coming forward and being like, you know, he came to me and said that I had this heart tick or something and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't feel bad or anything. I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, holy shit, it's a good thing you came in here. You would have died if this went unnoticed. How did you know about it? Um, so there is cases of people being able to do that. These energy readings, energy healings, all this, this supposedly fanciful stuff. And I can't definitively say that it is real and proven scientifically because everything I looked into, like, you know, the first hour of this episode, I just gave you the scientific proof and that is not part of it. But I can say that I see that there's a very strong case for it because there's tons and tons and tons and tons of people who um, have experienced it. Now, we could say, well, it's just kind of this placebo effect happening that this guy says he's a Reiki healer and he goes in, says that he heals them and then their mind does it themselves. And maybe that's the case. Okay. Does it make it any less real? You know, if your mind did it because he said that he was going to do it and you had enough faith for your mind to heal yourself instantaneously, or if somebody else energetically reached into you and fixed it, doesn't really fucking matter, does it? I mean, either way, you were miraculously healed. And that brings us to the next question of God. So to anybody who's, um, you know, strictly religious or more orthodox, you're going to say that, well, it's God doing this. And in my opinion, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? And how does that work? What does that look like? Is it just like some guy in the sky snaps his fingers and you're better? Or what is the mechanism through which, quote unquote, God is doing this? And how does all that work? So here's my thoughts on this, and this is just my personal thoughts, so you can take it and believe it, or you can tell me I'm fucking stupid, I don't really care. But the whole idea of things being um, holy and divine or being demonic and coming from Satan, essentially, really comes down to one thing, in my opinion, and that's whether or not we take it on ourselves and give ourselves credit or we give it to a higher power and give it to God. So one of the really interesting things that I have learned over the years is about AA. AA is like the most successful recovery program of all time. It has helped more people get over alcoholism than than like any other um, program by far, any other way to, to recover people from addiction of anything. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is the support system. You go to AA and you spend your time around people that are also going through the same thing and you guys all support each other and you build a network of people um, to keep each other accountable. That's a very important part of it. And then you have the you know idea of, of owning up to your mistakes and the whole psychological aspect of it. But 
the biggest thing, one of the, one of the biggest things that makes it so successful is that they rely on God. Now, when you go into AA, they'll tell you, they're like, you need to first admit that you have a problem that you cannot handle. And then you need to give it up to a higher power. And they don't care what that higher power is. I went to AA just twice one time. Um, I ended up, you know, quitting drinking in other ways and, and, you know, deciding that it wasn't a good thing for me and just didn't feel the need to go back. But um, I did go to a couple AA meetings. And that was the first thing that the person who explained it to me said to me, he goes, you need to admit that you have a problem and you need to give it up to a higher power. And he goes, and if you believe in God, awesome. If you don't, he goes, pick a fucking thing. He goes, I don't care if it's your doorknob in your bedroom. You need to have something that you can take this off of yourself and give it up to something higher and let that be the thing that guides you through it. And that is statistically and proven to be like the most beneficial way for people to get over that addiction is to have faith in something bigger. So why is it that that works even when it's not you giving it up to God, like an actual God, right? Why would it work if it's a doorknob? Well, it kind of goes back to the whole placebo effect of God. Now, don't don't get my words twisted up here. I'm not saying that God uh, doesn't exist, and if you're religious, I'm not, uh, um, you know, contradicting that in any way. But I just, in the context of how all this works, I think the act of giving something up to a higher power is what makes something divine, and the act of claiming for it to be all on you and for you having this power is what makes it quote-unquote satanic. I was talking to a friend of mine who's very religious about um, all this faith healing and stuff like that and he said and he's very orthodox religious very fundamental and he said that well I think Satan can heal people too. He can give people the power to heal and that's a way for um, Satan to trick people away from God. And I'm like hmm okay. So let's unpack that a little bit. If God and Satan can both give this healing power, then isn't it the same healing power and either way people are getting healed? So the way I look at the whole thing is, is pretty simplistic. I know this is a bit of a tangent from the faith healing thing, but we got to, you know, since it is faith healing, we got to go down the road of, of religion and God a little bit. So my personal opinions on this and uh, really my personal opinions on God, which this is just touching the very uh, uh, base on, is a lot more like the force from Star Wars more than the guy in the sky idea, right? So we all are connected to this force. We're all connected to divinity. We're all connected to something outside of ourselves. And we can call that spirituality. We can call that a data center, data grid. We can call that the universe. You can call it God. You can call it whatever the fuck you want to call it. But we're all connected to it. And what's the difference between the light side and the dark side of the force? The Jedi, the light side of the force, says we're connected to the force, we're connected to this something bigger, and we use it to make everything better. Where the dark side of the force is that I am powerful. I have this power and I will use it for my own benefit. When you look into true Satanism, and I talked about this in my Stanley Kubrick episode with the occult, and I've talked about this in a few different things. When you have people that are Satanists, quote unquote, 
most of the time they don't worship some horned devil guy. I mean, there is that aspect of it. There is such thing as devil worship, but that's that's a whole different category we're not going to go down right now. But for the most part, Satanism is saying that there is no God and that essentially we can become gods and that we are God um, or that there is a God and that we can become gods because we're so powerful, essentially. So that's what what real Satanism is about. And I think that's where that line gets drawn, that we all have these abilities to do this stuff. We all have these abilities to be able to heal and these abilities to be able to communicate telepathically and remote view and all these different things that our minds can do that we're starting to prove scientifically. But when we say, I can do this because I am this powerful and I have this inside of myself and look how strong I am and I am a healer, I think that is what is quote unquote uh, more satanic or demonic or whatever. And then, you know, whatever you want to call it, I, I you know, for lack of a better word, those are, I hate using those words because it has all this connotation around it, but you know what I mean. Where if we say I'm doing this because I'm connected to something higher and we're all part of this bigger, higher, beautiful thing that connects us all, that's what makes it divine. So I think it's very important for us to do that. And I think that, uh, when we talk about these things and when we talk about understanding that, that's where science and religion kind of clash because science is trying to prove that we have the abilities to do that. We are these secular things. We are strong. We can do this where religion says God can do this. And in my opinion, I don't care what you call God. I don't care if you call it the universe or um, you know, whatever. Again, it can be the doorknob in your room, right? But I think the idea of understanding that you are not all-powerful and you are not God and that there is something higher that connects us all is very important. I think that that's where all these uh, stories of religion and stuff really get down to it is that, you know, what does Jesus say? Heaven and hell is on earth and we need to quit looking outside of of this Um, because if we take things to their logical conclusion and we build this world, like at some point we're going to be able to really understand and be able to do all these things fully, right? We're going to be able to heal. We're going to be able to uh, helpfully communicate telepathically and get outside of our body with consciousness and do all these different things. And depending on the route we take to get there and how we understand it, we can literally create heaven or hell on earth. Because if we're learning to use our power as humans and our mental power, and we're going down the road that it is all me that is powerful, I can heal, I have the power to affect things with my mind, I can affect biological systems with my mind, what is stopping me from using that for my own personal gain? If I can affect bacteria to the point that I can kill it off, and I can affect water to the point that when you freeze it, its molecular structure looks horrific, imagine the positive and negative impacts that I could do to other people if I think I'm this all-powerful being. Where on the other hand, if I think that this power or I admit that this power comes from outside of myself and that we're all connected underneath this quote-unquote God or this universe or this whatever the hell you want to call it, then you don't use those things in this sense of, you know, I'm going to get my own personal gain and be this strong, powerful being. I'm going to use it to help all of God's creation because we're all part of this bigger creation. So I think it's very important that we keep that in mind when we're talking about stuff like this. 
And I, again, I don't care what religious affiliation you are or what you call God or what it is. I just think it's very important to understand that we are not the highest beings in the universe and we're connected to something much, much higher than us. Okay, so that was a bit of a religious tangent. I could go on about that for hours and hours and hours and I will do uh, episodes on, on more things that are more religiously focused at another time. But that about wraps up my findings for faith healing, and the placebo effect. So like I said, there was a lot of different things I touched on there, like the secret life of water and the and the uh, global consciousness project and our minds being able to affect computer systems and the consciousness of plants and all these different things that I ran into in this research that are going to grow into different episodes. And now that I hopefully in the next couple of days will have my setup to be able to start doing more interviews, I can start reaching out to these people and uh, hopefully getting them on and actually talking to the people who are involved in these fields. Like I said, I have a good little backlog of people that I'm going to be talking to here pretty soon that I'm very, very excited about. So uh, be looking forward to that. And let me know your guys' thoughts on this. Reach out to me at luke at stolenreality.com. I got my email back up and running. So I'm sorry for the ones that I had missed before that. Uh, but it is back up and running. You can go onto the contacts page at stolenreality.com or you can just email me directly. And then, of course, like always, I'll have a little questionnaire on the Spotify app that you can respond to me. I think you only get like 160 characters, so you can't say a whole lot, but you can kind of answer what you think about all this on there as well. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in today. Um, I would love to know your guys' thoughts on this. And like always, please go out there, spread the word, share these episodes with people, help this podcast grow. Um, I'm having a lot of fun doing it, and it's it's just going to keep getting better as we go along. So hope you guys are having an amazing week, and I will be back on Friday for my Bitisode episode. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.